0: hello and welcome to how did we get here a riverdale rewatch podcast i'm mary and this episode we're going to be going through season one episode 12 of riverdale called chapter 12 anatomy of a murder this episode literally i just watched it today it's it's tuesday actually i had somewhere to go i had my sister had a parent slash bambooster meeting i'm not a parent but like i am there to help and i love to help and so i'm signed up to help for their home show and I'm also helping... I'm just going to help her in general because apparently she's in pit and they have a lot of um, equipment that they have to move and they didn't have any parents to help them push it out last week at their first competition. So she was, I was like, girl, call me up. Like, I'm there. I live to serve. What am I... Like, seriously. But yeah, so... But this... I So I watched it today. Not thinking I was going to record this tonight, but I was like, you know what? I'm already out. What the hell? Might as well. That rhymed. So I... I'm recording this on a Tuesday and I just watched it today and this is this episode like this is not even the season finale this is the episode before the season finale and it's crazy it, I mean watching it for the first time I think I was like oh my god oh my god that I didn't have the time to really take it in so this time around this watch I was like oh yeah like I was really fucking like paying attention because I don't think I did that my first watch or any rewatch I've ever done, because I just, like, have it on in the background. But this, oh my god, this is the episode where we figure out the whole murder story, okay? Alright, right, you guys excited? Are you guys excited? Ah. Personal news, though, I did get a job offer in Nashville for a marketing company, but I would have to work five and a half days a week. Like, I would have to work Monday through Friday nine to six and then on Saturday a half day and I just don't think that that is something that I want to do like I would make fantastic money I you know I apparently I really impressed them I don't know but I think that I I the reason I moved back like I could have stayed in Atlanta I could have stayed in Atlanta I could have gotten another job that like could have been a possibility but I chose to come back because I want to be around my sister and I want to be there for her with her band stuff and also like I think I would get so burnt out working five and a half days a week like I was working when I was full time at the last job I was working five days a week 10 to 6 and then doing the podcast on top of that and then like also getting my certificate in this thing like that burns you out like I was burnt out just with that, and so I feel like doing five and a half days a week, and then I also have, like, like I st- like I want to, like, I decided that I think I might just get a part-time job and then finish my cert- certification to get a f- to teach English as a foreign language and do that, so I had, like, two part-time jobs technically, because I feel like having two part-time jobs where I can kind of control my schedule with the teaching online classes, um, would allow me time to focus on things that, like, I want to also do, like, this podcast, I want to start a YouTube channel, because I love to cook, and I want to start a vegan YouTube cooking channel, so original, I know, but that's what I want to do, um, and I want to, I, like, low-key started a small business, right now, I'm just selling, like, pictures that I've taken on, like, like, as prints, so, like, I just kind of, like, did it, and I think I've sold maybe a few pictures, but like not a lot and that's fine but i just like don't know if that's gonna go anywhere if i don't put the time in it and i want to like add on to it like i want to i created a design and i've sold that then i like i want to like start thrifting for like in like antiquing for containers that i could make into candles and do like a thrifted candles section on my store do stuff like that, and I want to like flip furniture. Like, there, I want to do artistic things. I am like this office type person, but I also want to do artistic things. I want the best of, of both worlds, basically. And I feel like if I got this like full time job where I had to work five and a half days over 40 hours, I think I would just get so burnt out and I wouldn't have time for things that I, I want to do. Also, a part of this is I wouldn't have to worry about money so much living in Kentucky living in Nashville I'd have to worry it'd be like the same as Atlanta like I'd have to worry so I feel like living in Kentucky in any of the towns around Kentucky or even Clarksville Tennessee which is I love Clarksville honestly low-key love it I like it there I did apply for a few jobs in Clarksville today so like I would love to live in Clarksville I just don't think Nashville's for me right now I think I need to be in in a smaller town a small city type-esque vibe and I because when I got laid off and I called my friend David crying I was like, I think I just want to go be with simple people in a simple town with simple problems and like, just be simple for a while. So I wouldn't have to really like worry about money so I could have more time to like take care of myself. Like recently being unemployed, I've been cooking again. I've been like going on walks. I like, I have time to do those things and I like, I love to work. I live to work. I love working. Like I love to go, love to have a job. Like I really do. I'm just one of those people, but I guess uh, being such a worker all the time made me sort of realize how much I've missed out on enjoying taking care of myself. Um, so being unemployed has really helped me realize that and so I don't think I'm ready to give that up, um, give up my like self-care time, you know and like self-care time for me is literally just like 30 minutes a day to clean up because like I literally being so burnt out at my last job like, I did not have time to do that. My last few jobs, I, like, just didn't, like, tidy up every day. Like, now I have, now I, like, have 30 minutes to, like, tidy up my room and tidy up my bathroom and tidy up the kitchen and, like, I just, like, do, like, those little tasks and then I have 30 minutes to check my, like, really check my email a day and I have, because I really was just, like, scanning it and then, like, letting things go behind and it was crazy and then, like, 30 minutes to read a day. Like, I literally did not have that time. I've just been really dedicating this time not only to finding another job and like preparing myself for that, um, but also for like just like taking care of myself because I have not for the past my entire life basically. Because school, school, I, when I was in school, I had a job, I had multiple extracurricular activities. You know, like I didn't have, I didn't have time to take care of myself, and this is the first time in my life that I've really had that. So I think I'm just gonna soak it in and I think that I'm not ready to give it up and but I do need a job I would like to have a job I want a job I think that's part of my mental health as well as I like to have a job so I'm getting a little depressed I've been sleeping in a lot you know like I just need to like I need a job so yeah I think I'm gonna turn this job down I feel like icky like this is the second job I've turned down you know and I like I know that I'm unemployed and I feel like I should like just go for whatever job I want I, I am offered but they i they just did not like one of the first one was like kind of sketchy i'm not gonna lie it was in a hotel and i felt a little strange and so then i just was like no i think i'm gonna leave like they i was like no this is not for me and so then i and then this job is just like they're really nice the vibes were good i felt like i would like it there i just don't think i would like myself there and i don't think i would like my personal life You know, like I don't have a lot of friends, and especially not here. I don't really have any friends, but like that's fine. I'm fine with being alone. I've been so fine with being alone for so long, and like so, I don't mind that. I just like want to have the time for myself. Like if I'm gonna be alone, I want to be able to spend time on myself. If that makes sense. But so yeah, I think I am gonna turn this job down. I do have two more interviews tomorrow. I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna slow down on the job applications and focus on getting a part-time job and then that pays pretty well then finish I'm almost done with my certificate I'm I have one last module to complete and then an assignment to complete and that is all so I'm really almost done I'm really freaking almost done so and then I can just immediately start that so I'm feeling good about that but yeah, that's my little personal update. I'm not going to take this job. I'm going to be unemployed for a little while longer. Period. It's short, long story short, you know. But yeah, let's get into the episode. Archie, it opens with Archie, Betty, and Veronica still at Pops talking about the gun that was found in FP's trailer, which is where we left off in the, in the last episode. So this episode is like only a matter of days. It's wild they're still talking about the gun being planted like Archie is like Betty the gun was planted and Betty does not believe them at first but they're like we like we know what we saw and we know what we did not find so Archie decides he should tell his dad what a good son he goes to tell the adult thank you Archie because nobody else ever does that in the show thank you they have, like, a meeting at Fred's house where Fred, Mary, Alice, and Hermione are there, so all of their parents, and they tell them about snooping in F.P.'s trailer and the gun being planted. Alice, oh, Alice with her fuck-ass mouth, Alice is, like, F.P.'s guilty and says, Excuse me if I, tr- if I trust the detection skills of an officer of the law over three amateur sleuths. Bitch, who asked them to do it? Who asked them to do it? I have a I have a question. Who asked them to do it? Who 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 who? Who? who, who? You, bitch, you asked them to do it. If you didn't trust them, like you brought it up. If you didn't trust them to do it. What why would you ask them to do it? Like why wouldn't she say, "Hey, I think you need to search like if you really Oh my god. She made she pissed me off. Pissed me off. And Betty calls her out for it, too. And then the parents are like, Alice, what the fuck are you on? So now they're pissed off at Alice, too. They're pissed off at their kids because they they did a and e And, you know, Alice ordered it. Like, <laughs> Alice, you're a grown-ass woman. Please. Archie wants to tell the sheriff, but Mary, uh, we love Mary. Stan, Mary... She comes in with that lawyer knowledge and she's like, well, because you searched F.P.'s trailer without his consent and you broke in, that is an illegal act. And therefore anything, any evidence you would have to bring from that act would be inadmissible in court, period. We love a law mind, you know, Betty's can't sleep and neither can Archie and, you know, they're next door neighbors. So they text each other and they decide to sneak out to find Jughead. Jughead is at the bus station and he calls his mom he says I have a surprise like I'm gonna come up to Toledo and stay with you guys for a while is that okay and she tells him that it's not a good time (sighs) pisses me and he's like I'll sleep on the couch like I'll do this I'll do that and she still says no it makes me so sad like uh, he's sobbing in the damn phone booth so he decides to trade out his ticket to toledo because who the fuck would just want to go to toledo for no reason sorry to toledo out there he decides to trade out his ticket and just leave on the next bus out and the next bus is going to citrusville florida and leaves at 6 a.m. So the next day he has to wait a few hours. However, the lobby closes at, closes in 15 minutes from whenever he bought this ticket and doesn't open until 5 30 in the morning. So he has to leave. Hermione at the Pembroke is like ruffling through drawers. You know, she's like honestly going a little bit crazy. And she's like, Where are our passports? Where are our passports? Veronica's like, bitch, what the fuck? And she's like, We need to be ready to leave. If FP mentions us, we need to be ready to leave. Pack a bag. And Veronica's like, that would make us look guilty. And she's right. That would make you look really guilty. Like, if imagine if, like, somebody mentioned you in a criminal case and you just left the country. Like, that is, uh, like, you can't do anything, like, with that in court. Like, you can use it as, like, it's not true evidence of guilt, but it would sway the jury, you know. And, like, in the court of public opinion, you're guilty, babe. You you are guilty, hundred um, percent. But Hermione tells Veronica to pack a bag just in case. Archie and Benny do go to the bus station. They know what they understand what Jughead is trying to do. He's about to trying to leave town, uh, but it is closed, so Jughead's no longer there. Veronica calls Archie, just to talk. That pissed me. I was like, just to talk, like. Jughead is missing I mean maybe she hasn't put that together but like she's like I just want to talk and Archie's like I'm out with Betty right now like we are trying to find Jughead she's like oh and then he tells her that they're at the bus station cl- they- he tells her the situation she goes well Veronica I have to give something to her this episode because she was in it with the clues like she was on it she's like well what's the only place that stays open 24 hours in town pops so he's at pops Good go on Veronica. Miss Veronica, she got that. They find Jughead up at a booth in Pops and tell him about the planted gun and their suspicions about it. And Jughead is, like, he's just, like, I think he's just lost hope. You know, he's pretty gone, I think, just, like, emotionalized, wise Like, he just doesn't have anything left in him to give. F.P. is at the sheriff's office, and he's the sheriff's office? The sheriff's department. Whatever, the police place. (laughs) The police place. He's being interrogated by Sheriff Keller. And this is his story, okay? This took a lot of writing, this episode. My hand kind of hurts. But this is what FP says. During the summer, Jason approached FP at the White Worm and said that he was running away with his pregnant girlfriend. Jason asked to be set up with a runaway car and some cash. So they made a deal, FP and Jason. Jason would make a weed delivery for FP in 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 trade, you know. I don't know how, what where am I looking for in in trade to get the car and the cash. FP says that he started to realize that he was Clifford Blossom's son and was confused why a rich kid needed help from a serpent from a gang member and why he needed to do this illegal thing to get a car and cash so he asked Jason and Jason told FP the plan that he was going to row acro- across Sweetwater River with Cheryl on July 4th tip the boat and she would say that he drowned FP says that you know the plan went off Cheryl t- they tipped the boat Cheryl said he drowned they start dragging the lake the river for Jason's body but F.P. says that he grabbed Jason when he made it across the river before he got to the car. This is where F.P. says he did not know where the car was. He says, I don't know. Where, like, he, the way he says it, it says that he means that he never knew where the car was. So keep that in mind. Then F.P. took Jason to the basement of the White Worm and tied him up. F.P. wanted to tell Clifford that his son was alive and being held for ransom, and he wanted to set up a drop-off point. But before he told Clifford, Jason got loose, tried to escape, so he shot him and put him in the freezer. When things quieted down, they stopped dragging the river for his body. He dumped him. F.P. dumped Jason's body in the river. Then, F.P. admits to stealing the files from Sheriff Sheriff Keller's house during the drive-in. Which he has a full alibi for. Like, Hermione... He talked to multiple people, including Hermione Lodge, at the drive-in. And, like, was paid by her at the drive-in. Was noticed by so many people at the drive-in. Like, the whole town was there. The only person who was noticeably not there is Hal Cooper so therefore he has a full alibi he did not need to admit to that it's like I'm so confused as to why he admitted to that maybe he thought Clifford actually stole the 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 murder board and the files and things like that maybe he thought Clifford did it I don't know so he had to cover for Clifford completely I don't know but that's my theory but we know Hal did it and we know full well that FB had an alibi and so do so many other characters in this in this episode like they know that he had a foolproof alibi so I find that wild that nobody like said something like that like how did he steal the files if he was there you know crazy unless he unless he they wanted to say oh he ordered a serpent to do it okay which serpent you know like show me the serpent F.P. says he also followed Betty and Jughead to the getaway car and lit it on fire after they left. Again, he said he didn't know where the car was. So you don't know where the car, wa- car is, but now you're lighting it on fire? Like, tell me. Tell me. The truth. Betty, Veronica, Archie, and Jughead show up to the station... Where they're informed by Sheriff Keller that FP has confessed to the murder of Jason Blossom. The next scene is breakfast at Thornhill. It's bad vibes all around. Bad vibes all around. And uh, Polly has just woken up from her drugged nap. Her drug nap. God. And she has to sit down at breakfast with these people who just drugged her. Are you kidding? No, I'd be out of the house immediately. But she wakes up from her drug nap. Penelope immediately hands her, first thing in the morning after she's woken up from her drug nap, the newspaper where it says, the like headline is Justice for Jason and FP's mugshot is there. Polly is very surprised. She, I mean, she really thought that it was Clifford and Penelope. Like, she, I mean, ended up being right, you know what I'm saying? but like she's so surprised and confused and I don't think I think her and Cheryl on the same page of like this doesn't really provide closure for me because something always felt off about him being found guilty and him confessing like it was like something was off for the whole town I think but this is where Clifford says I went to the station I looked our son's killer in the eye finally we'll have peace but he didn't go to the station to look his son's killer in the eye. He went to the station to threaten FP to confess. Fuck you, you redheaded piece. You not real redheaded piece of shit. I'm not real redhead either. My hair's dyed red. But like, at least I admit it and I don't have a bunch of wigs for fucking every mood. And then Penelope follows this up with, because, so Clifford says, finally we'll have peace. Penelope says, Jason will have peace. And that, I think, yes, Penelope, I don't like her. She's a piece of shit. She's a fucked up person and a terrible mother. But I think she could never even fathom killing her son. Ever. Ever. And so her love for her son is different than Clifford's love for his son. Clifford killed his son, number one. And number two, when he, like any parent, this is, there's such a difference. He's thinking about, we will have peace. I will have peace. Penelope's like, Jason will, my son will finally have peace. Like, this is laid to rest. I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about my son. Like, that is such a, there's such a, it's such a simple phrase for them to differentiate on. But it's, the meaning is so... Profound. Like, there's such a difference. There's such a difference in them. And I just needed to point that out with that one statement. There was such a difference. But while they're saying these things, Polly and Cheryl are like sharing looks. And again, I think Polly and Cheryl are very on the same path of like, something is off. Something doesn't feel right. They're at lunch now at, you know, Riverdale High School. It's just Archie, Betty, and Veronica. Veronica is still, I mean, she is trying to make her dad a part of Jason's murder. Like it just seems so extreme. Like that's all she can think about. She's not even thinking about like other possibilities. There's like no other possibility in her mind at this point. And I just like, I'm like, girl, like, look at it though. Look at it. Uh, yeah, she's just, she's so like zoned in on this one thing. of like, my dad is guilty but Archie, you know, he holds her hand under the table. Aw, you know, cute cute cute. Kevin comes to the table, asks about Jughead. Apparently, Jughead is at the station being interrogated by Sheriff Keller and won't be coming in at all to school that day. And Kevin is kind of like, you know, well, my dad's just doing his job. And the group is kind of giving a cab. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the group is kind of giving like mm, mm. And Betty's like, Betty's like pissed. Betty's like, well, like, even if FP's guilty, like, he Jughead would have nothing to do with it. So the fact that he's being interrogated is absolutely wild. Like, Jughead didn't even live with his dad at this point. So why would he know if, like, anything surrounding the events of July fourth through j- July eleventh, and then after when they dumped the body, why would he know? He wasn't even living with his dad at the time, and like, so why are you interrogating him? Why? What was the purpose of interrogating Jughead? There is none there is none I guess to be like D- did your dad ever tell you about anything no okay great you can go because he has no information to give he has none and so that's wild and also like he's a minor I don't think you're able to just like interrogate a minor you know and like involuntarily. I don't know involuntarily crush your mind so Betty Betty's real pla- real pressed and then she brings up Joaquin because Joaquin is a part of this. And both Alice and Betty know it. And this is when Kevin gets a little mad. He's like, don't bring my boyfriend into this. Mm-mm. But their little argument, their little tiff, gets cut off. Because guess who walks in the fucking doors? Jughead. And as soon as Jughead walks in, it's like... A scene erupts in the cafeteria. Everybody is like, get the fuck out. Which, like... Pisses me off he had nothing to, even if his dad was guilty why would he need to be punished for that it's so wild Jughead does approach Cheryl and he apologizes and to this Cheryl just starts like hitting him like pounding at him and Jughead just stands there he has no reaction Archie pulls Cheryl away and Principal Weatherby comes in and yells at Jughead wants him to meet him in his office for what? For what? Cheryl goes to the locker room and cries. Betty comes in and talks to her and is like, it's not his fault, Cheryl. And Cheryl's like, I know. There's so many emotions, I think, running through her veins. And she basically says that you know, everybody's saying like, oh, you must feel so much closure, you must be so relieved, and she's like, I don't feel relieved she says it doesn't feel like the nightmare is over because I deep down she knows FP didn't kill Jason and if he did kill him it was not alone like deep down she knows that her parents have something to do with it there's too much evidence that she has seen personally against her parents that she knows something had to go on and so I think she can't get that out of her mind. So how is she supposed to find closure when she's seen so much that makes her parents look guilty, you know? And I think that's exactly how Polly's feeling as well. Cause we don't get really We don't really get a lot from Polly this episode, but I like to, I would like to interpret. Okay. That she feels basically the same way that Cheryl did because Polly and Cheryl have seen basically the same information, the same evidence against Cheryl's parents and mostly clifford but they're also like putting penelope in it with him at this time and they've both like like experienced polly's polly has seen but cheryl has experienced the abuse from her parents and now they've sort of like turned the tides and turned the tables on her i've been like we should have been nurturing you to take over the business we should have been grooming you to take take over the business like you should have been the one and we wasted our time with jason like the way that they've like changed their language towards her has made her very suspicious Betty meets Jughead coming out of the principal's office and basically says he's been interrogated again. I think he's just really losing hope in FP. He says, he says, quote unquote for quote, quote unquote, I've been waiting my whole life for that man to, to do the right thing, and I'm done. This is what I've been talking about. Thank you. Is it warranted? Yes, but no, because we know the truth and we know that FP isn't really this bad guy. But, like, it took me so long, like, to finally tell my dad that I could not see him anymore because of the problems that he was having with alcohol. It took so freaking long. It took years. And then after those years, like, I still spent, like, five years Because I was like, oh, if if he gets sober, if he gets a job, if he, you know, does this and that, then maybe I'll see him again. And it never fucking happened. And I spent five years. No, I didn't see him for those five years. But I, I spent five years pining and waiting and crying and sobbing in my room and feeling like everything was worthless my entire, like, all of my, everything I did in high school, all the accomplishments I had, graduation felt worthless because I did not have the people that I thought were going to be there. There, I didn't have my grandma, she passed away. I didn't have my dad. That one fucking broke my heart. I, my dad wasn't going to be on my own high school graduation, and that just made me feel so shit. And like, so, like, even when you do, like, be like, you separate yourself from them, there's still so much connection with them that it takes so long to separate. And so it took me so long to get over that. And like, now I'm finally in a place where I'm like, okay with it and I'm good. And I, I don't sit there and cry about it anymore. I do cry about my mom because that's, that's more recent. Like I, I haven't spoken to my dad in seven and a half years almost. And I haven't spoken to my mom in two and a half. So there's a, a little bit of a difference. There's a five year difference between the two. And so like, I'm still, like, at the very early stages of really getting through that. And that it doesn't help that, like, I have to see my mom every day. Like, I can't just, like, cut her out completely like I did my dad. Um, so I think it's going to be, like, a longer process to get over m- things that happen with my mom. But I, um, like, I'll get there one day. But it just takes so long. And so I'm so happy that had finally got to this first step. Obviously... We know the truth, but, like, if this, if what had happened, what actually happened was not the truth and FP did actually do these things, finally, you know what I'm saying? Like, fucking finally. We're now at the Andrews house. Principal Weatherby called Fred. He thinks that Jughead should finish the semester from home for his personal safety. Again, like, I think that if students want to attack him or ridicule him or target him in any negative way... I think that it should be the student's responsibility to face the punishment for that. Because it's not Jughead's fault. It is not Jughead's fault at all. And he should be given the opportunity to make a better life for himself than the one that his dad had. And you taking him out of school is not going to get him that. And the only way that you're going to fix this problem in society is for people who want to judge. And people who want to attack people for who they're related to. I think they need to face the, the punishment, not Jughead. But Fred kind of agrees with Principal Weatherby. And, like, I also get it because it would maybe be easier on Jughead emotionally to not have to go to school every day. But at the same time, isolating yourself is also not good. So there's, like, it's a it's a double-edged sword at this point. But Archie is a Jughead defender for life, and we love him for that. Fred is now unsure about even having Jughead in the house, And says that the Joneses cause trouble everywhere that they go. Like, I get it, Fred. But, like, it just makes me a little bit angry. Like, I understand that Fred is just trying to do what's best for his family. But the way that I see it is Jughead needs help. And at this point, Jughead has basically become family. No, he's not blood. But he's Archie's brother through and through, and Fred treats him like a son, and so the fact that you just want to, like, throw him out like that is absolutely wild to me, and it, it just, like, feels like a betrayal not only for Jughead, but also for Archie, and obviously Fred is a good parent, and I don't think that he's a bad one, and I don't think that this makes him a bad one, but it does make me question him a little bit, like, dude, You, if you want to be a good person, you have to be a good person even when it's hard. But Fred does say that maybe Archie should go to Chicago with Mary. I also think that just comes from anxiety of like the town doesn't feel that safe anymore. But whatever, Jack had heard all of this, all of this, and he says he's gonna don't he's like don't worry about Archie. I'm gonna sleep in the garage tonight, and so he's just isolating himself from everybody in that. I did that all the time. I would literally go, like, weeks without speaking to anybody. Like, I literally wouldn't say a word to anybody. Like, over the summer, I wouldn't text anybody. I wouldn't call anybody. Nothing. And I was depressed. I was just isolating myself. And that was not good. In the middle of the night, Betty is woken up by something very loud downstairs. And she goes down to find Alice with a gun. They go down to the basement where they find how... Digging through the drawers to get the files that he stole from Shel- from Sheriff Keller. They go upstairs. They sit at the dining room table. He ends up showing Betty and Alice the files. And he said that since FP confessed to stealing the files, he wanted to destroy the evidence that could lead back to him. And, you know, mess with FP's confession. I, honestly, I don't think that matters either. Because FP's confession is already tampered because people saw him at... The drive-in. But obviously this would be more concrete evidence than just word of mouth. um, Or eyewitness testimony. They ask Hal why he stole the files. Hal says he stole them because he was worried that the investigation would lead to Polly. Or somehow the Coopers as a whole. Because he thinks that their family history would lead to a motive to kill Jason. And Betty's like, oh you mean Hal great great grandpappy blossom and great bam great grand pappy cooper i fucking great grand pappy okay great grand pappy blossom and great grand pappy killed great grand pappy cooper like that whole family history and how's like uh uh-uh, honey no 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 Hal shares this little fun family tidbit it's a little family allure that Betty's great-grandfather wasn't just murdered by a Blossom, he was a Blossom. Uh, Grandpappy Blossom was, There were brothers, both grandpappies were brothers. Grandpappy Blossom killed his brother, who happened to be the Cooper's great-grandfather, but he was Blossom at that point, and then they changed their family name to Cooper. So they would still be Blossom if they hadn't have changed their name. Now, in the room here, <laughs> in the room here, it's a little bit uncomfortable. We're putting pieces together. Um, we're realizing incest. We're realizing an incestuous relationship. And now, two babies are being born from that. And so we're all a little bit, ugh. we're all a little bit uncomfortable. We're all a little bit disgusted. Yeah, it's a little uncomfy in here. Yeah, yeah. Just sit in the air of uncomfortability, you know? I think that would be good for us all. But I did do like a little family tree on my little notes. So basically, we have Grandpappy Blossom and Grandpappy Cooper, is what we're gonna call them. They're brothers. Okay, so Grandpappy Blossom had, we're gonna say Grandpa B who married Nana Rose, and had Clifford, who married Penelope, and had Jason and Cheryl. Grandpappy Cooper had Grandpa Cooper, or, yeah, Grandpa Cooper, making Grandpa Cooper, Nana Rose, and Grandpa Blossom first cousins. Now we have, so Grandpa Cooper had Hal, who married Alice, making Hal and Alice second cousins to Clifford and Penelope. Then... Hal and Alice had Polly and Betty, making Polly and Betty third cousins to Jason and Cheryl. (sighs) Alice doesn't really, she's not really focusing on, like, the incest part. She's focusing on her daughter, thank God. She says, if you were willing to send our daughter away to keep her away from Jason, then Betty chimes in and she says, how far would the blossoms go to keep them apart? They're getting Polly immediately in the middle of the night. They're racing to Thornhill. Getting Polly. That's my racing noises, by the way. They show up to Thornhill banging on that door in the middle. Like, it's like three in the morning, probably. Penelope, Penelope and Clifford go to the door. Cheryl and Polly are on the stairs. And Alice is like, we're here for her. We're here for her. We're here for Polly. Give me my daughter and Cheryl does not want Polly to leave, and I think Cheryl, yes, Polly's carrying Jason's babies, but I think Cheryl and Polly are, like, friends now, like, they have, not not maybe friends, but they've, like, experienced the, these events that are kind of traumatic and sinister, and they've sort of bonded over that, and so I think having her around is a comfort to Cheryl, so it's not just the fact that she's carrying Jason's children but it's also this bond that they've formed over shared drama and then also their connection their similar connection to Jason as you know Cheryl loved him like her brother and Polly instead of loving him like a cousin loved him you know in a romantic way and so when they're like when the Blossoms are refusing to let Polly go Alice immediately brings up the incest <sighs> Immediately, she's like, oh, yeah, let's talk about the incestual relationship, huh? You well, you killed your son to hide incest. Literally, that's what she says. And Polly's just a little confused. She's like, what's going on? <laughs> Girl, stay confused. You don't want to know. Alice says, F.P.'s confession has tons of holes in it. Thank you for pointing it out, hon. We love you for that. Obviously, last episode, you were a fucking bitch. Beginning of this episode, I'm not really a fan still. But right now, you are my favorite in this scene. Please. Get them. Get on their asses. So she's like, F.P.'s confession has tons of holes in it. She's got that journalistic mind, you know? She knows. She can see. And she said that their motive for murder could have been to hide the incest. And this is where Penelope says. The worst. This is the most cringe line just because it's so fucking disgusting. It's the worst. And Penelope is like, she's like, I don't care that the, that the children, are that the babies, are incest. She quote, on, quote for quote says, nothing could be more purely blossom than those babies. <laughs> you know, like I was literally listening. Okay, I'm in my dead grandma's bed again. Right, I'm watching this. She says it. I hit the space bar, I paused, I had to turn around, lurch into my pillow, and, uh, I uh uh no 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 and see I'm from Kentucky I'm from Kentucky where they tell us fourth cousins is okay. If you're fourth cousins apart you're fine you can have sex and get married a hundred percent okay so here in Kentucky, third cousins is a bit too close, you know? God, what's the West Virginia rules on that? I don't know. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of cousins. We literally, I, we call Kentucky kin fucky because we be fucking our kin. You know what I'm saying? Um, but thank God my family's not from here, so I don't really have any cousins. <laughs> but like people growing up here have hella cousins like they're like related to so many people at school like I remember growing up and they'd be like oh yeah those people are my cousins and these people are my cousins and these people are I'm like okay so that's why it's hard for you to date not your cousin okay because I never got it growing up because I had like in my literally not even in my hometown I'm not related to anybody in my hometown but like in counties over I have two cousins in the entire state of kentucky like i don't i cannot relate i cannot relate but yeah and then like i just like don't know my cousin like distant family on my dad's side but i know my d- distant family on my mom's side and they all live in georgia so like literally there was no concern ever like i really did not understand how you could end up marrying like all, you looked around and all you could find was your fucking cousin but like in a small town that's true 100%, like, <laughs> these bitches could, in fact, marry their cousin, and I'm sure they do here. Polly is disgusted to find out that she fucked her cousin and is having her kids. She does, in fact, go to Alice, but she puts a hand back to reach for Cheryl and their hands touch for, like, a split second. There's not much focus on it in the scene, but I it was something that I noticed, and I was like, that... They do have a bond, and I think that's very important. The next day, Jughead and Archie go to Pops and meet Mary there. Mary has gone to the station and acted as FP's attorney to get more information. She brings up... She says there's not really much that she can do. Like, he confessed. There's not really much you can, like, defend a person who... You can't really defend a person who just confesses, so... Law, lawyer wise like he doesn't really have a case but she does bring up Joaquin because apparently he was FP's one phone call and uh, Archie and Jughead are kind of like thrown off by this because they're like Joaquin like what but like if Betty would have been told she would not have been thrown off but Mary does tell Jughead to visit FP before he's arraigned because after he's arraigned it's going to happen really fast he's going to go over to the state prison Which is not anywhere near Riverdale. Jughead does go to see F.P. in the prison cell. The delusion is fading away very quickly for Jughead from last episode. Because in last episode, if you remember, F.P. had cleaned himself up. He shaved his face, whatnot. And, you know, there were a lot of good steps taken for F.P. But for Jughead now in the in this episode it just makes it so much worse because he was like you were getting better you were doing so much better and i was happy i was happy and now this is happening and now it's i've been brought down to like a hundred times worse than what i was when i was homeless and like you were a piece of shit you were deadbeat like it's so much worse now and he does understand now that fp read the manuscript to see if jug had suspected him of the murder and He didn't want to go to Toledo to reunite the family. He just wanted to go to Toledo to get away with the evidence and everything like that. FP does this sort of like half-hearted, aggressive thing with Jughead to make him go away. And he does tell him to never visit him again. And after Jughead leaves, FP's just left sobbing in the cell. And there's just so much hurt on both sides and it's just so fucking sad but here we go veronica on it again archie tells veronica about joaquin and she wants to question him because he might know if fp was paid to kill jason kevin joins them with the questioning because joaquin is kevin's boyfriend and he wants answers he literally uses he's like I'm not talking to you as your boyfriend, I'm talking to you as the sheriff's son. Like, he's serious. He's serious about this. Joaquin says he didn't see F.P. pull the trigger, but he assumed that he killed Jason. The a story that Joaquin tells them is that F.P. called Joaquin on July 11th in the middle of the night. He said he needed help with a cleanup job at the White Worm. When he got to the basement, he saw Jason's body laying on the floor of the basement blood all over the floor my question is why did fp call a child you know what i'm saying why did fp call a 15 year old i feel like that's just something adults need to take care like if you want somebody to help you take care of this to be implicated in the cover-up of a murder don't ask a fucking 15 year old that's crazy to me wild there, so, it shows them, like, cleaning up, and this is where we find out that there is a camera in the basement of the white worm, because FP, like, cleans over it. Kevin is very upset. His boyfriend is a criminal. He's the sheriff's son. He's he's that type of He's that, like, innocent, you know, type person where he's like, don't do crime, you know, even if you're in hard times. He's that person, and I think that's okay as long as you're not extreme about it, but I mean... Joaquin didn't have to help him. Veronica asks Joaquin about her dad maybe being a part of the the murder. Joaquin brings up this other serpent named Mustang who also knows about the cleanup and who Archie almost fought at the white worm. Remember that time after the after Moose got attacked and he just, like, showed up in his fucking Letterman jacket like a stupid dumbass. Yeah. He, and he almost got his fucking ass beat. Apparently, Joaquin overhe- overheard Mustang telling FP about something about some rich guy, which could be Hiram, could also be Clifford. They force Joaquin to take them to Mustang, and they say that if, they, if he doesn't, then they'll tell Sheriff Keller about his involvement. The next scene is Jughead calling Betty and telling her that FP's hiding something. And that's it. Like, that's the little AB scene. Joaquin takes Archie, Veronica, and Kevin to a motel. Very trashy. There's trash everywhere. It's quite disgusting. They go to room 226. Walk in. It's dirty. It stinks. It. It's lots of things. Archie is walking around. They don't see anybody. He walks to the bathroom, finds... A dead Mustang in the tub. Kevin and Joaquin very quickly vacate the premises. But Archie ends up calling the sheriff. Sheriff Keller, Fred, and Hermione show up. And Archie tells them they were at the motel to ask Mustang about FP. Hermione is like, Veronica, stop looking. Stop looking for for my husband to be guilty right now. Because I need you to stop. I need you to stop. You're putting yourself in danger at this point. And she is. The sheriff thinks Mustang died from an overdose. They also find a bag of cash under the bed in a nice bag. And it has a little initial tag that says HL. Could be Hermione Lodge. So they immediately ask her and Hermione's like, I don't know. And Veronica immediately comes in and she says, "It's no, it's not Hermione Lodge. It's Hiram Lodge, and she tells them about Hiram's dealings with the serpents, and Hermione's like, girl, shut up. Shut up. We are not saying anything else without a lawyer, which, like, smart, smart. Fred's very upset with Archie. Mostly, I don't think it's like, he's, like, angry with him. He's mostly just worried and, you know, wants to protect his son. Th- Hermione and Veronica get back to the Pembroke, and as soon as that door closes, like, Hermione just looks, like, shaken, and she just like start sobbing in veronica's arms the next scene is at the bus station joaquin is leaving town kevin is saying goodbye to him they have a very sweet goodbye they have a nice little kiss but joaquin's about to get on the bus and he turns around and he says there's something else that he didn't want to say in front of veronica and archie jughead and betty are in the blue and gold room looking at the murder board Juggett says his dad has lied to him his whole life but he was never any good at it period I feel that my dad was shit at lying too lied to me all the time though and then simultaneously another scene is happening where Cheryl is um, talking to Penelope she's like on her knees in front of Penelope and is asking why Jason and Clifford were arguing arguing the night before Jason went missing on July 3rd Penelope says it was about the business they were arguing about the business and Cheryl's like yeah like that he couldn't handle it and so she's like what couldn't he handle though now it's back to Betty and Jughead they are they take off Hal and Hermione as suspects leaving only Hiram and Clifford. Well, Hiram, Clifford, and Penelope are in the same. Hiram is separate, and then there's Clifford and Penelope. Clifford and Penelope are together as suspects. Now we're back to Cheryl. Cheryl's kind of showing Penelope that she's putting pieces together that her parents aren't good people. Penelope's very in denial about lots of things, I think. There's no way Penelope can't see the The evidence right in front of her you know there's no way she's not getting at least a little piece of that in her like that like little just like questioning in her mind of could this be could this be happening could this be real and so Cheryl asks what was Jason running away from was it the business was it Clifford or was it Penelope and at that Penelope gets so pissed and she like takes Cheryl's hand. This is going to give me a flashback. Okay. She takes it gave me like a little bit of a, uh, you know, she takes her hands and like clenches Cheryl's hands and like drags her up and outside to the maple syrup barn where there's just like a bunch of barrels of maple syrup. And I think this is really like proves to me that Penelope is just so innocent. Like, yes, she's being very terrible to her daughter, being very abusive and cruel to her, but never would she have committed her son's murder. She would never have killed Jason. I just really, she's just proving her innocence to me at all times. Alice comes into the blue and gold room while Betty and Jug are still in there. She tells them about Mustang calls sheriff keller sheriff clueless which is such a fucking sick burn i really love that like it's really like it's not even that funny but like it's just a sick fucking burn she's like well sheriff clueless can't do his fucking job thank you sick wasted you know like (laughs) but she says that sheriff keller suspects mustang of working with fp and says that everything is tied up into a nice tidy little bow but that it's too tidy for her period. We love an investigative journalist. Now Betty gets a call, and it's from Kevin. They are out in the, the woods looking for something. Kevin explains why FP used his one phone call for Joaquin. During this phone call, FP told Joaquin to forget about their contingency plan, and that it was too dangerous. And If you remember from a few episodes back, F.P. said this is our backup plan when he was putting Jason's letterman jacket into the bag and telling Joaquin to hide it. They find the bag with his letterman in it and the group meets in Archie's garage. So, you know, we've got Veronica, Jughead, Betty, Archie, and Kevin. Veronica's still convinced that Hiram hired FP to kill Jason like she's so fucking convinced and I'm like lay off it it's really annoying at this point I'm like stop stop so fucking annoying they're they're like this jacket how is it dangerous well how could it you know be evidence how could this be a contingency plan how could this be you know they're like it's just a jacket And Betty's like, no, it has to be something. It has to be something. So she puts the jacket on Archie, which Archie finds very strange. TSA's his ass, you know, fills him up and finds a hole in the jacket. Reaches in and grabs a USB port that they put into a laptop and watch a seemingly horrific video that we can't see. Everyone is shocked and Betty immediately calls Cheryl, tells her to get out of the house. Cheryl very calmly, tearfully says, I understand, gets up, walks down the steps, goes to where her parents are eating dinner and says, stands by her mom, looks at her dad and says, you did a bad thing, daddy. And now everyone knows. I This is such a good moment, but like me personally, I'd be running out of the fucking house. I'd be running. I'd be a fucking track star. Uh-uh, no. How are you so calm? But the kids are smart and they very, they're very intelligently. They have asked Alice to take the USB port to the sheriff's office. Thank God, an adult. And uh, she takes it to the mayor's office And shows the mayor and the sheriff. We then see the video. We see Jason tied to the chair. Mustang taunting him. Clifford walks in. Takes the ring that he he had proposed to Polly with out of his pocket of his button-up shirt. Stands back. Pulls out the gun. Shoots his son in the head. And walks away calmly and then we go to the scene where clifford is visiting fp in prison you know he's looking his son's killer in the eyes remember but instead because he's the killer he threatens fp and makes him confess or he would kill jughead jughead is very angrily arguing with Sheriff Keller. Sheriff Keller's like, your dad's still gonna go to prison because there's so many other things. Like, he's an accomplice. He tampered with evidence. He hit a body. You know, like, there's so much. He, like, did a false confession. There's so much that he did illegal. But, like, he was forced. He was coerced. He was threatened. So, I think there's, there's, legality can be confusing. Legal precedent can be confusing. So, I don't think we can really count him as a guilty man until he goes to court, you know? And all the evidence is laid out. We're at the Pembroke now. Veronica apologizes to Hermione. Hermione's very okay, though. She's very happy about something. And she tells Veronica that Hiram is coming home. Very conflicting for Veronica. Now we're saying goodbye to Mary. (sighs) Sad, sad, sad. And Archie has decided to stay in Riverdale the next thing we see the last scene of the episode is the police going to arrest Clifford Blossom they pull up to Thornhill both Cheryl and Penelope are on the steps they point for them to go towards the maple syrup barn they go into the barn and all they see is Clifford hanging from the rafters so he's they they put it as a suicide that he's killed himself and there's a barrel of what's supposed to be maple syrup on the ground so he stood on the maple on the barrel and then kicked it out from under himself but instead of maple syrup in there there are drugs so lots of things right now and that is the end of the episode wow wow So yeah, my most valuable character, I have actually five because I think you, this episode was so, there's like, they're so not based on the characters and their development, but based on the plot and you, I mean the core four and Kevin pulled through on this one. And I do have to give an honorable mention to Cheryl, the core four they did and, and Kevin, I have to include Kevin. They did so much investigative work that the adults just didn't want to do. And I think we have to appreciate them for that. And, yeah, they're my most valuable characters for this entire episode. All five of them. Betty, Veronica, Archie, Jughead, Kevin. And then honorable mention to Cheryl because she... She'd been thinking this for a really long time and going through so much. And I'm so glad that some sort of justice was given. And I do think that after Clifford is gone... And after season one, she is able to get a lot more closure on this chapter of her life. And I'm so happy for her. I love Cheryl. <laughs> I love Cheryl. But yeah, that's all I have for today's episode. As always, the ins- the email is riverdellrewatch at outlook.com. And the Instagram is Pod. And as always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you have a great week. All right. Bye.